sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. There will be fans at a football stadium in 2020. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. I am Craig Mish. Joe Pizapia will join me shortly. Here in South Florida, where I live, they've determined that it's okay to have about 13 to 15,000 fans at Hard Rock Stadium as the Miami Dolphins open up their season in less than three weeks. The Miami Hurricanes will also have fans in the stands, too, for college football, provided there is a college football season. We have that. We have a Carolina Panthers preview coming up in just a few minutes with Antoine Staley. And Joe, I think that before we get to the top stories of the day, nothing comes close to that. There have not been fans anywhere we've seen essentially here outside of NASCAR in the United States. And it looks like Miami is going to be the first place that's going to at least experiment with fans in the stands in 2020. You mean Florida? Florida is going to experiment with things and Florida is going to say, eh, you know what? We could try to do this. Why not? We're Florida. Why not? Anything goes in Florida pretty much. We know that. And boy, do I miss Florida, man. I, I really hope that we get back to Florida man segments next year, because that is one segment that I miss from the radio days with you. I will say that, but look, hopefully it'll all work out. I hope they're making the right decision. I am not optimistic that they're going to be able to pull it off, but we shall see. I also think it's a little weird that some stadiums will have any sort of home field crowd advantage and other stadiums will not. I don't know from a competitive standpoint, Craig, do you see any conflict with that? Uh, I mean, not with the amount of fans that they're talking about right now, but if that was to change, then yes. And we have yet to hear from Jerry Jones on this subject too. Apparently Dallas wants to have several uh, fans in the stands. I mean, we're talking about like several hundreds of thousands of fans over the course of a season. So uh, look, if the Cowboys allow, Joe, 25,000, 30,000 people in the stands, I think that does change things. But certainly where it stands right now, having 13, 15,000 adds to the ambiance. But does it make a huge difference? I don't, I don't know that I, that I think that, especially in Miami situation in particular. By the way, if you do go to a game in South Florida this year, it's, you're going to have to wear a mask. You're going to have to social distance. But they are saying that you will be allowed to remove the mask to eat. So, listen, all bets are off for that. We'll just have to see. What happens there? But really, like to our top story the of the day. That, that seems pretty hard. <laughs> our our uh, our top story of the day to me has to still be the NBA and Luca's epic game last night. No doubt, uh, what a performance he had! Really, one for the ages, one thirty-five to one thirty-three. And uh, and our producer Brett Levy made a really good point to me as we were talking that it just seems like these players in the NBA don't feel a lot of pressure with no fans there because we're seeing some crazy performances. I mean, two players scoring 50 in a game last night also, and one player joining Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan and 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 in, in history of scoring 50 points twice in playoff games. It's just crazy. Uh, 76ers sweep the uh, 76ers get swept by the Celtics. Joel Embiid says he doesn't know what his future is. This is usually what happens when the best player on a team loses. He says, I don't know what the future is. He'll be back. Trust me. He's getting paid a lot. Dodgers <laughs> hit seven home runs. They improved to 22 and eight. We'll see if Anthony Santander can continue his hit streak. It's at 18 right now. Earl Thomas Will be signed by a club, I'm sure, I'm sure soon, but he was released by the Ravens yesterday, and all NFL teams are back on the field today 
after a number of them could not because of false positive tests for uh, for COVID-19. And so, uh, Joe, it's a really interesting day for that. It's also an interesting day to reflect a little bit because in our history of playing fantasy baseball, there's been a player that I don't think that we're going to get a chance to see anymore. And it's probably for good reason because his career looks like it's coming to an end. Uh, Hunter Pence was released by the San Francisco Giants, a team that's actually playing much better than some anticipated, including myself. His career batting average is at 279, 244 home runs, 942 RBIs. Uh, probably not a Hall of Famer, but four-time All-Star and two-time World Series champion and a player, Joe, for almost a decade that was on our fantasy team in some way or another. Uh, you know, threw a little strange, batted a little strange, but a guy that really was very well-liked by fans everywhere, especially in Philadelphia and Houston and San Francisco, where he won two World Series championships. And so um, sort of an icon, I think, kind of in San Francisco winning a couple and uh, was released. It could be the end of the line for him. Yeah, Hunter Pence, really, really good career here for him. Uh, great personality, too. And like you said, everything about him looked awkward. Everything about him didn't seem like it should work, and yet it did. You look at the stats, you look at the the numbers the guy would put up there as we welcome uh, in our radio audience here on to Sports Grid. You're watch, watching and listening to Fantasy Sports today. We're talking about Hunter Pence. And Hunter Pence, Greg, to me, was that guy that nothing should have been the way it was, and yet it was awesome. And in fact, the overall productivity for Hunter Pence was so good that at one point in the black mark, in the black book, we actually changed the term benchmark to the Pence mark, which was the player that if you had an entire team of Hunter Pence who would hit 280, hit around 20 home runs, steal about 10 bases, drive in 85, 90 runs, score 85 runs or so, 90 runs, basically you would be an unstoppable team and as many Hunter Pence's as you could possibly find that gave you overall productivity you would never be beaten, and that was the one thing about the guy. The guy was a better defensive player than you thought, a better runner than you thought, had more power than you thought. None of it looked pretty, but all of it looked good when you looked at the stat line, and that was something that was really great about him. Yeah, and uh, Gabe Kapler, the manager of the Giants, talked about the decision to let go of Pence on Sunday. It's a loss. Um, he's, you know, I'll, I'll share this. Like last night, he, he could not have handled that conversation any more professionally. Um, he's he actually came with a lot of gratitude. Uh, said thank you to everybody in the clubhouse and front office you know, ownership. Like he just was, he came came across as like super grateful. That's who Hunter is. Um, it, it's interesting through some of these struggles, he's never lost his his positive outlook. Um, he's never lost the energy in the clubhouse, and I think his his teammates and the coaching staff have really appreciated that. And it was certainly interesting uh, in 2019 to see Pence return to all-star form with the Texas mm -hmm. Rangers. However, that ended up happening was quite bizarre, but he ended up having a really good season. Unfortunately, this could be the end of the line for a player that won two World Series championships with the Giants. We'll preview the Panthers next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports today as we check in with a lot of the NFL teams this time of the year to see what's happening in training camp. Unfortunately, Sunday was a little bit of a bizarre day, but that gives us an opportunity here on Monday 
to check in with our friend Antoine Staley, who covers the Carolina Panthers, has covered sports in the NFL for a long period of time. Great to catch up with you, Antoine. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Craig? I'm doing very well. Uh, it's great to see you again and great to uh, cover some football again. Uh, I, I know that you know Sunday was a little bit bizarre with all the positive tests going on and there was you know, mess ups all over the league and you know some places had to stop practice and all that. But uh, how has it been like for you uh, covering the Panthers this year? Anything interesting for you? I know how baseball has been for me. Yeah. Well, the the good news for the Panthers is uh, they were not working through that same uh, company that had the false positives. So it's good on their end. And also they hadn't had to put anybody on the COVID-19 list. So uh, that's they're one of the few teams, I believe four or five teams in NFL have not uh, done that. So that's good news for them. Uh, they've just taken the same kind of protocols that a lot of the other teams are doing, just testing the players every day. Also uh, having them with a device that if they get too close, then uh, it'll sound an alarm and they end up having to uh, do a little social dissonance. But everything's going good so far for the Panthers, uh, especially considering there's so many changes with the franchise with Matt Rule and yeah. uh, also having a new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and a roster pretty much 75, 80% of the players are new. So it's, it's been a big change, a big adjustment in a shorter period of time. Yeah, and I, and I think that everybody kind of understands where the Panthers are at. But for our purposes, for sure, Antoine, we're trying to dive a little bit deeper and find out even in what could be a down year for the Panthers. We don't know for sure, but what could be a down year for the Panthers to try and find those fantasy gems, of course. And before we get into Teddy Bridgewater, uh, look, Matt Rule, I, I think the Panthers, Antoine, gave him a long-term deal for a lot of money, understanding sort of that this is going to be a process of getting back I saw what Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow, so it leads me to believe in a couple of years the Panthers could be right back to maybe even playoff contention. What has been the early part of training camp buzz with Rule and Brady? Well, really, right now, uh, you look at them and trading camp, the practices have been a little, lot more tempo. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is somebody that Joe Brady has familiarity with. They both were with the Saints a couple of years ago when Teddy was brought over from the Jets. And that's part of the reason why they decided they wanted to go with Bridgewater. They wanted to go with somebody that's experienced, that has knowledge of the offense, and somebody that they feel like can be a leader for this team. I know a lot of people think Teddy Bridgewater might be a bridge to another quarterback, maybe Trevor Lawrence, uh, possibly. I've heard <laughs> tanking. Uh, in there as well but this is somebody they really believe that can be the franchise quarterback he's only 27 years old so they really have a lot of faith in him and really the buzz is uh, I think this offense is going to be really good uh, the defense is a big question mark but they have a ton of playmakers on their on their offense obviously everybody points to Christian McCaffrey and remembers what he did last year with having sure. going for a uh, thousand yards rushing and receiving but uh, you look at some of their playmakers is Robbie Anderson who they picked up from the Jets also pair him with DJ Moore who I thought was very underrated last year at the wide receiver position. And Curtis Samuel is somebody that they feel like they can use in a multitude of different ways, especially uh, as a runner in the backfield, but as a receiver as well. So they, they feel like they have the, all the key parts that can be a contender, uh, at least offensively this year. Yeah, and, and Teddy B last year, and I'm familiar with Teddy B, of course, from South Florida, but this is his third stop. And last year with the Saints, 1,380 yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. In 2018, he only came in at the end. And then, of course, he had the injury the year before that. But the number that's really glaring, Antoine, is that he was 5-0 and as a starter last year. And I wonder, from your perspective, no one's ever going to have Teddy Bridgewater in their opening day starting fantasy lineup. But is there a chance at the end of the year that Bridgewater gets back to what potentially was supposed to be in Minnesota, which is a three to 4,000-yard passer and a 30-yard touchdown guy? Or is it just not going to be that part of the offense because of McCaffrey being there? 
I think so. I think that's kind of where they want him to get to. I think I could see that this year. I think the Panthers could have a top 10 offense, to be completely honest. They have all the weapons that are able to do so. A uh, lot of may fall under Christian McCaffrey, but they're trying not to rely so much on him like they did last year. He was part of, he was in on 94% of their snaps offensively last year. And that's just unheard of really for anybody at the running back position. Right. So they're trying to kind of scale that back a little bit, but ultimately Christian McCaffrey is one of the best players in the league so you're going to rely a lot on him but they feel like they have enough there to kind of spread things around especially uh, with the addition of Robbie Anderson so I I can see him throwing for 30 touches matter of fact I actually uh, that's my expectation Mm, if you talk about fantasy if you talk about fantasy uh, I don't expect Teddy Bridgewater to be the first quarterback taken on anybody's board but if you're looking for somebody that could be a backup quarterback that could get you through in case somebody gets hurt or you need a bye week yeah I think he he could definitely do that uh this upcoming year yeah i mean more than bye weeks we're gonna have maybe covid weeks i mean who knows with all the guys that are going to be in and out this this year as we're seeing with uh with baseball especially uh we you know we don't need to spend much time on mccaffrey i don't think because everybody knows who he is he's the first pick in the draft for everybody or the second pick but let's take a look at the receivers here because i do think that this is worth discussing as you mentioned dj moore really showed last year who he can be 87 receptions over 1100 receiving yards and four touchdowns and then the complimentary piece, or maybe even the wide receiver 1A, you could say, is Robbie Anderson, who they got from the Jets, 52 catches, 779 yards, and five touchdowns. Uh, Curtis Samuel, as you mentioned, was also a factor here. But I feel like these two receivers, Antoine, are going to be the main targets for Bridgewater this year. Yeah, they, they're going to open it up. Uh, they feel like they can have enough uh, playmakers, especially with Moore and also Anderson. They can stretch the ball downfield. And having a guy like Robbie Anderson that has that fast speed, they're, they're definitely going to open it up a bit. So, yeah, I think uh, Matt Rule has challenged DJ Moore, even though he had a really good year. He believes he could be a 100-catch guy, uh, possibly up with the 10 touchdowns. So I think that's kind of the expectation Matt Rule and also Joe Brady have for uh, DJ Moore this upcoming year. So if that does happen, uh, yeah, he's definitely going to be a player that a lot of people target early on. So, yeah, I definitely uh, think have the expectation that he's going to have a big year. I think Robbie Anderson, he's going to have a pretty uh, solid year, especially catching touchdowns. And I definitely think Curtis Samuel is going to be somebody that they use in a multitude of different ways. Maybe uh, as a Wildcat running back, uh, he also played running back at Ohio State. So I definitely think he could use him to kind of spell McCaffrey from time to time as too. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting because they really don't have a a strong backup there. Uh, Let's move over to tight end because there is an opening here, Antoine, with Olsen being gone. And and this is a first in, what, seven years, eight years? Uh, Ian Thomas, uh, two years ago, I thought was on the verge of taking over for Olsen. There was talk he was going to go into the TV booth, and he did not. And because he came back last year, you saw Ian Thomas's numbers just dropped off a cliff. And he was their fourth-round pick in 2018 Uh, I I think it's show me time here, Antoine, for Ian Thomas. I just don't know if he has anything to show. You tell me. Well, they they're hoping he does. Uh, he's he started in spots when Olson was hurt throughout the course of the few years, but he really don't have that veteran to kind of rely on now. So they're looking forward to him possibly showing what he has in his third year in the league. Can he be the the focal point at the tight end position? Uh, you look at what Joe Brady did at the tight end position last year at LSU. Uh, it was Thaddeus Moss. So you can definitely look and see they can they're going to use him in kind of a similar type way. And you also look at the Saints offense too. As well, the Saints uh, we cook there um, right now. Uh, that's kind of I think it's going to be kind of a similar type thing there for Ian Thomas, and it, it, that's the big question. I definitely think he's uh, somebody they're definitely looking forward to to see if he can hold up for a 16 game season. 
Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, Antoine, before we let you go here, I, I know that some of the discussion in the very early part of camp, we're now through a few weeks, was was really hard to ignore uh, because Cam Newton, of course, no longer there. Um, Antoine, you've seen Cam Newton play for years. I know you live in that area covering the team. Do you still think that Cam Newton can be a respectable, good quarterback in the NFL? Do you buy that the, the Patriots can take him on and turn him back to what he was a couple of years ago, or we have we seen his best days? I think so. I think the big thing is, can he stay healthy? That's always been the big thing. It's never been about skill or anything like that. It's can Cam stay healthy in the past couple of years. He's shown the inability to stay healthy, whether it be the shoulder injury or also the foot injury last year. And I think that's part of the reason why the Panthers decided to part ways with him. But yeah, I I definitely think uh, it's a risk taking him on, but it's a small risk for the Patriots. But yeah, he's only 31 years old. So you have to kind of keep that in mind. And if he can stay healthy and and try to reclaim some of that magic he had from 2015, yeah, I think the Patriots are still going to be a factor in the AFC East. All right. Well, uh, Antoine, it's always great catching up with you. Thanks for your insights here on the Panthers. And uh, as Antoine said, keep an eye on DJ Moore this year, maybe getting even to that next level and Teddy Bridgewater potentially with 30 touchdowns this year. That would be huge. Antoine, thanks again. Great catching up with you. Have a great day. Okay. Uh, All right. Thanks, Greg. All right. Antoine Staley with us covering the Carolina Panthers. That's our offensive preview for the fantasy football season. We'll be back with more right here on Fantasy Sports Today in just a couple of minutes. Joe Pizapia joins me a little bit later in the show. Time for fantasy or reality. We'll be right back here on SportsGrid after this quick timeout. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, thanks very much, Chris, and welcome back. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mitch along with Joe Pizzapia as we close in on the 2020 fantasy football season. I feel like this season in particular, Joe, is going to be one where, uh, you know, reliability is going to be important, but there's going to be some very extreme unpredictability as well. And so you could go a number of different ways this year, honestly. Uh, You could go with just the complete upside team where you just take your shots and pray for a championship. You can also go with a squad that has some predictability. But in the end, we're not going to know who's going to be on that COVID list. We don't know who's going to be out. But if there was ever a year to play fantasy football, if you don't have a ton of experience doing it, this potentially could be the year because I think all bets are going to be off. Well, look, I like upside as much as the next fantasy analyst. But at the same time, I think you have to understand there's a place for it and a time for it, too. And I don't like to take too much risk with my first few picks. And I know some people are, you know, more risk adverse, less risk adverse. You have to understand what kind of situation you're in and how much money you're investing as well before you make those kind of decisions into some of these leagues and how much risk you want to take on because of the financial investment you're making. But I think there are some players here, Craig, to identify as high risk reward players who are all being drafted uh, within the first few rounds of a draft, but all of which could make very positive and potentially negative impact on some fantasy rosters. And it's important to identify them and kind of talk them out here a little bit and maybe see which ones we are more interested in or less interested in, depending on the situation. All right, so let's uh, let's start off with the quarterback position in 2020. And certainly there are a lot of players that are unpredictable. Minshew, don't really know what Gardner Minshew is going to be this year or know what uh, Joe Burrow is going to be. But then you have a player, Joe, 
who showed a lot of flashes, especially in the second half of last year. Kyler Murray, who threw for more than 3,700 yards in his first season, 20 touchdowns, uh, 12 interceptions. And then the key number here for fantasy-wise, 544 rushing yards in his first season and four touchdowns. And he had some ups and he had some downs. But, Joe, specifically as it pertains to rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, you usually don't see this kind of success rate first time out of the box. And, by the way, on a team that wasn't very good at all. And so I would say that Murray probably fits along the lines of what you're talking about here. Yeah, he's going as QB5 overall, and I think that's just about right. And again, Superflex is a whole different situation when you have more than one quarterback. I think that's where you want to take a risk on Kyler Murray as your QB1 because the upside is there from what you saw in the second half. But in your single quarterback league, I don't know if it's a risk I want to take because there are a lot of guys like Carson Wentz, like Matt Ryan, who are more stand-in-the-pocket quarterbacks, have a little less uh, injury risk, but also on top of it, have a bigger track record that you can identify and say, yes, this guy's good. I mean, you know, Wentz and Ryan specifically, those are two guys that are going later than Kyler Murray, but I think can absolutely match him in terms of fantasy productivity, even with some Kyler Murray growth. And I think that's what you have to understand. I think in a super flex, I'm more apt to take that risk because you see the rushing yards, you see the maneuverability and all that is very exciting. Plus 3,700 yards, not too bad in a rookie season when you're adding an elite wide receiver and DeAndre Hopkins into the offense. It gets very tempting. Now, is that all tempt you, Craig Mish, in a single quarterback league to maybe reach on Kyler Murray and his upside? Yeah, I mean, I, I could see him being on a team of mine this year for sure. And again, I, I love the, the quarterbacks who still run, and I think that uh, there's no doubt that he will run for me. I've, I've talked about you know how I feel about Kenyon Drake. I'm not at, at all in on him this year. So I think that Murray will still rush for some touchdowns as well. So uh, I'm a fan and I think that the, uh, the upside is certainly worth the investment for sure on him uh, at running back. This is year three, Joe for James Connor. So he essentially is playing for a contract this year. It's kind of the way it works in the NFL. After your third year, you, you get the opportunity to yell and scream and get an extension <laughs> or do nothing and then just let it play out. Uh, I think in this particular case, though, it's interesting because Connor definitely has a lot of competition here. Now, the question is, does Connor have competition for the goal line? And that would really be the thing that you circle, because even with the rough year that he had last year because of the injuries, he still had seven touchdowns. And so in a standard league, he provided a lot. But of course, Benny Snell is there. They drafted a running back as well. Uh, Connor is no question, Joe, one of the more boom or bust players. The only thing that we don't know going into the season is how the Steelers are going to divvy up these carries. And I think that we're going to get an answer on that very early on in the campaign. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a question mark because with Benny Snell, with Jalen Samuels, with McFarland, who they drafted, there's a lot more bodies around. And part of that is because James Connors missed time. So two years ago, as good as he was, let's not forget, he did miss time at the end of that season and did deal with another injury. Uh, where I struggle with this one, too, is he's such a good story. He's somebody, you know, that you can't help but to root for, even if you hate the Steelers, because Connors an inspiring guy, a guy that's beat cancer, a guy that, you know, looks like a million bucks right now. You see how hard he's working. You see all the workout videos and you see the productivity on the field, too. This is a guy that fits in a great offense in terms of fantasy running back potential that we've seen it even with D'Angelo Williams when Le'Veon Bell was hurt, became a fantasy monster in this offense. The offense really yields fantasy points. It's a risk worth taking, I think, in the contract year for Connor because this is it, like you said. This is his moment to get paid. And I feel like when the money's on the line, guys like Fordette, guys like uh, James Connor who have injury history but a world of talent, 
it's worth betting on those kind of guys. Now you see he's going at RB 18, which means you still have to draft him as your RB two. If you do draft him as an RB two, I would immediately back this up. I think that's how you mitigate a bunch, a bunch of that risk here. Personally, Craig, what are your feelings on James Conner and what's your uh, comfort level with him in the Steelers offense with all those other running backs and with the injury history? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Benny Snell. So I, I want I don't know if Benny Snell's ever going to get the true opportunity that I think he deserves, but I'm going to keep pounding that drum until it happens because of how good that he was at Kentucky two years ago. When he got the opportunity with the Steelers last year, he looked really good. I would love to see a way that Connor could get moved and go to another team, maybe if there was an injury or something else, and see Benny Snell get 25, 30 carries and really fit the prototypical running back for the Steelers who we've had in the last 15, 20 years, whether it's Jerome Bettis or Barry Foster, if you want to go back even further Uh, than that, or even Le'Veon Bell. I think Benny Snell can be that guy. Uh, But I understand Connor two years ago was phenomenal, and he should, and he deserves to get another opportunity this year. But my guy is still Snell in that offense. I I think if he gets a chance, he will be a fantastic back in the NFL. Now, over to wide receiver, Joe. I've heard a lot of helium now over again on Odell Beckham Jr. I feel like we do this every year. He's motivated with the Giants, motivated with the Browns. Now he's really motivated with the Browns. Okay, I've, I've, I've heard every story on him here. Maybe this is the year that the corner is turned. The numbers were respectable for what we would call, I guess, a wide receiver fringy three last year, two, three, 74 catches, a thousand yards, four touchdowns. But his ADP was always the issue the last two years, Joe. That was really the key is that he was drafted too high for the production. Now, this year, it looks like he's being drafted to meet what the production is. The question is, is he going too low because he exceeds expectations and Putting the word exceed next to Odell Beckham is not something that a lot of people want to do. That's a dangerous game to play. There's no doubt about that. Um, And if you just looked at these numbers last year and took away the name and you look at 74 uh, catches with a thousand yards and four touchdowns, it sounds a lot more like Tyler Boyd than it does necessarily like Odell Beckham. And I think that's where people get hung up. They get hung up on the name brand value. And I think last year's numbers were pretty much where you're going to get out of him in the offense. Yeah, maybe you get another couple touchdowns. Touchdowns can be a little fluky at times. But I'm looking at Kareem Hunt. I'm looking at Nick Chubb. I'm looking at new head coach Kevin Stefanski. And I'm looking at an offense that I think is going to really run out of that running back position. I'm talking about Kareem Hunt catching balls on the backfield. I'm talking about Nick Chubb still getting enough to go for probably 1,200 yards when all is said and done. And then Baker Mayfield's going to be able to run a lot of play action off of that. And Jarvis Landry's still going to get his. But I just don't know if this offense can also yield a big-time wide receiver with the quarterback right now with Baker Mayfield. If they are going to be so centric, and I believe they're going to with the running backs in this offense, and I think it's going to yield better results for them in the win column, then Odell Beckham's numbers from last year I think are probably more like what you're going to get. And where I struggle with that is where's the upside? The upside, guys going around this same grouping are guys like Amari Cooper, guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, guys who are in offenses that are going to throw the ball a whole lot more. So just looking at the numbers and not the name, this is my problem with it. I just don't see him being wide receiver 14 worthy or in an auction, even worse, paying for the name brand of Odell Beckham when you're getting 1,000 yards and five touchdowns to me. I could find that wide receiver twos much later on, you know, as you go down the trough. I mean, Robert Woods can get those kind of numbers. A lot of other guys can get these kind of numbers here that aren't named Odell Beckham. Yeah, I'm willing to take the shot here now, finally. I mean, two years ago I had him, he completely burned me, but he was wide receiver two. 
Uh, last year, he was probably wide receiver six, seven, eight, somewhere along those lines. I think finally now is the time to take the shot. And you may even be able to get him as wide receiver 17 or 18. And so for me, that's where it is worth the investment. And I, I would be back in on him this year, given the ADP of where he is going. I just, uh, unfortunately, his name value uh, was a lot higher. But I don't know. I, I think that this feels about uh, right to me. Uh, at tight end, Darren Waller was an absolute monster last year. 90 receptions, 117 yards. Uh, he, he came up short on the touchdown end, but my gosh, how can you complain with 90 catches from a tight end and a thousand yards? It's like unheard of the, these days in fantasy. Uh, Joe, he's the fifth tight end off the board this year. What do you think about him? Yeah, I think he comes with some risk. I love the talent. Another guy, you love the story. You love what you had. And also everybody who had him or picked him up off the waiver wire, drafted him late, feels like they really discovered something. And that is very dangerous because there's a certain equity that goes along with that where you have to step back a little bit and really evaluate. Now, the player, the talent, all great. Yes, a lot of things to be excited about. Josh Jacobs is really good, too, in this offense. But when you do draft Henry Ruggs and you are trying to maybe open up this offense a little bit, do some of those targets go away? Does he lose 117 targets and go down to about 95 or somewhere like that? And if so, that's a big, big swing. So I'm not saying not to draft Waller. I'm saying there is more risk there than people realize. What are your feelings about Waller and, more importantly, this whole Raiders offense in 2020? Yeah, I think it's about right. I think that I don't think that there will be a. I think there could be some pullback from last year, no question. Uh, but regardless of that, I mean, Rugs and all the rest of the rookie wide receivers haven't taken snaps in a preseason game. I can't see Rugs having a huge impact uh, on the Raiders until maybe mid or late in the year, and the Raiders added nothing else at wide receiver. So I think that Waller is back to being a focal point of the offense, barring an injury. Of course, that would certainly change things, but. Maybe 10%, 15% less production still fits into a top five wide receiver in fantasy. Fantasy reality is next. Stay tuned. We're back on SportsGrid right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Pizzapia with you here on our show. We got you until 2 o'clock Eastern. Make sure you stay tuned. Scott Farrell is coming at you ferocious later today right here. You got to stay on the grid. We got great programming coming up for you all weekend long. We're going to kick in some fantasy or reality as well, some stories from the weekend and some stories for the future, Joe. And so for this one, very clearly, you're going to have to get out your wallet because this is going to be a very expensive fantasy or reality. Well, I, I, wow. Okay. You're not uh, pulling any punches here. I'm going to go and I'll uh, make a run to the ATM. And you know how you're old when you still struggle to say the words ATM as opposed to Mac machine. Like I still always want to say Mac machine first because I'm, I'm a, you know, kid of the eighties and grew up in the nineties and, uh, yeah, certain habits die hard, but I often catch myself almost saying Mac machine, whereas other people go, what the hell are you talking about? But uh, yeah, all right, I'm all in. Let's invest in fantasy reality. I, I love it. Let's do it. I can only imagine. Okay. Before, before we do that, what would you. you say that you do more in life right now? Would you say that you go to an ATM more or write checks more? Which one of the two do you do more often? <laughs> Probably write checks, but I don't do either of them very often. I'm 
you know, yeah, it's funny, I don't I do either. Like bad Italian <laughs> because Italians always have cash on them all the time. I'm telling you right now, don't ever try to stick up Joey P because I, I'm just, I don't live in a cash society. I don't like it. And, but I feel deep down. I mean, I remember just in my entire life, every cousin, uncle, whatever it is. Hey, what do you need? Hey, you know, hey, what are you 20, 40? What do you need? And they just always have a lot of cash and the little clip and all. Yeah. Thing. No, it's, I don't, you live in a cash society. I really don't nowadays. Oh, uh, no. I, I mean, I really, a lot of it is PayPal and Venmo and, and, yeah. uh, you know, Zell, like a lot, of, a lot of that going on. Honestly, yeah. I really oh, yeah. That's, use it all. I, you know, I do. I still do some check writing every once in a while. I, every, rarely, but I, I think what happens is sometimes, like, I get the mail and I just get frustrated and I and I feel like just <laughs> writing a check just to get rid of the, you know, whatever it is. Just here, take take the money and go. I like to write um, out checks okay. now with a very large pen with like a feather. I like to feel very important when I write them. You yeah. Know? Now it's it's you more like, like to a, dip it in the dip it in the ink. Oh. I got the quill. I got the oil. I got the whole thing. I feel very important. Yes. Calligraphy. I signed it. Yeah. Sometimes I, I sign in very big sweeping strokes. I like to do that now when I write okay. my checks out. All right. All right. Well, look, uh, look forward to a check from Joe Pizza P. Okay. All right. Uh, so here, here's the big, uh, the big number here, $3.7 million. That is it. Mike Trout's card, uh, his rookie card sold uh, for three point seven. Million dollars over the weekend, single largest card of all time, passing the Honus Wagner card, and uh, really incredible uh, to think that this is even possible considering it's a player right now. But here we are, and the cards are still red hot, and everything is going up. Mike Trout's card was this was a two hundred thousand dollar purchase that is now three point seven million. So let's just throw it out there here, fantasy or reality, Joe. You own a piece of memorabilia of any kind, something at all. That is above a thousand dollars. We'll use that barometer because very clearly, I, I mean that that's a thousand is probably a very big number, but I think that that is attainable. I think a thousand is attainable. So let's let's start with that. You own a piece of memorabilia above a thousand, fantasy or reality? I do actually. I, I own a um, a pennant, an original 1955 Dodgers World Series pennant. Uh, my father was a big Dodgers fan growing up in Brooklyn. And then the Dodgers left town and broke his heart. And it's funny because he, he is a mild sports fan at best. So I don't think he ever quite, you know, got back into it the same way. <laughs> like even in my childhood, I think there's always a piece of him. They refuse to commit all the way to a team, no matter what. And um, that I know for a fact, because I've priced it before. It's well over a thousand there because it is authentic and there aren't a lot of them floating around. But there's something weird, even though it's not sentimental to me. Someone being sentimental to baseball is a part of me that, like, I don't want to sell it. Like, he gave it to me, but I don't know. I just feel weird about selling someone else's memorabilia. It feels kind of dirty. And plus, it is it is a really cool piece from a really historic thing. And me being from Brooklyn, I don't know. It just feels wrong. Once again, like, all these conflicts. So I know you definitely do. So it's a reality for me. I'm going to ask you, but I know for a fact you definitely own things that are over. I'm going to ask you something. Do you own something that's over $10,000 in terms of memorabilia? No, definitely not. No, I don't think that I come close to that. No. Um, In terms of, by the way, it's an interesting dynamic that you're talking about because I'm very familiar with the 55 Dodgers and their, uh, their stuff just in particular, everything 1955 is a monster because again, it was the only world series championship that Brooklyn won. But somebody made the point to me about this a couple of years ago, Joe, is that uh, that's one of the few things that um, that you can't be clear if it's going to go up or not. 
And the reason right. why behind that one specifically is because all the people, Joe, that would be interested in buying it may not be around. I mean, it's, it's crap to <laughs> yes, say, but that's that's part of the equation is I that had that same look, thought. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, in in fifteen years, is there a Brooklyn Dodgers fifty five buyer out there? And 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 that team in particular, maybe there always will be, but there are parts of baseball history that when the people aren't around, that don't have interest in buying it, that the the prices do go down on that. So, uh, I feel like in I'm terms selling of a piece of my dad's childhood, though, like, I know that's it's, where hard, I it's hard. Listen, my dad gave me a, a Jackie Robinson signed. Uh, I have a Jackie Robinson signed like uh, cut signature. I've used. I showed it here on the show, so I, I still have that. Can, um, we, can we also agree that this number or this trout car is ridiculous or no? Are you, are you like, uh, this is, this is I mean, it's, it, there's only two in existence and he's the best player maybe of all time. So, Oh, look, is it ridiculous? Of course, now. but come now, he, he still has a long career left to prove that, but he could end up being, he could end up being if there. And, and again, what, what will, if he's the best player of all time in 15 years from now, the card's going to be 5 million. I don't know, man, whoever sold this for 200, K to three point seven is that the number it was? I saw this over yeah. the weekend and I and I thought I was misreading it. I had to do a double take and a triple take. I said this can't be right. Like this can't actually happen. It feels wrong, but it's right. No, it, it feels wrong, but it's right. But yeah, uh, yeah, I have a few things that that are are in the thousands. I would say uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s ten card. I have um, you know uh, Pujols uh, signed bat. I think that that's probably uh, pushing that. Pedro Martinez signed bats, uh, Bonds jersey, Jeter jersey. So yeah, there's there's a few things that I have that are up there, but ten thousand that's a big number, man. I don't I don't have anything that's close. I would think three or four easily. You had a grand, like I I didn't think that was even yeah. I can do a grand for you. Yeah, and and again, um, I bought a LeBron James rookie card um, back in April. That was uh, about a thousand, and it's worth like five now. So took a shot, paid off. If they win the championship, bye bye. <laughs> okay, um, let, let's move on to uh, the big story in Times Square. Wow, pretty odd timing to open up a brand new donut shop, but Krispy Kreme is doing just that. They are opening up in Times Square coming up next month. Krispy Kreme nationwide is known as one of the most delicious donuts everywhere, but you have to find Krispy Kreme donuts, not in your local grocer. I think you got to eat these things fresh in order to really enjoy them the right way. Fantasy or reality, Joe, Krispy Kreme donuts are better than Dunkin' Donuts. Fantasy or reality? This is 100,000 times reality. They are. They just are. And I have only come to this realization with Krispy Kreme in the last five years because they opened up a small one in Penn Station. And when I used to commute all the time, I would be able to go by and every now pick one out there. And yes, fresh Krispy Kreme is great, but they also stay fresher than Dunkin' Donuts. You get a dozen Dunkin' Donuts donuts, and now they're just Dunkin'. They're not even Dunkin' Donuts anymore. It's just Dunkin' because we can't say donuts because we don't want anyone to think that we're selling donuts here, even though we're selling donuts here. (sighs) What's happening here is you get the Dunkin' Donuts, and the next day they're all stale. Not with the Krispy Kreme. No. And especially the ones that have the cream filling and things like that. Let me tell you, it is night and day. Krispy Kreme is delicious, and in all fairness to Krispy Kreme, this store was set to open, I think, right in the beginning before the pandemic happened, so they've been right. just waiting to launch it. So I got to tell you, it's absolutely reality. They are delicious. They are spectacular. I have to stay away from them because they are not good for Joey P. Because they're, they're, no, they're they are not. And, and, I, and, and I miss Krispy Kreme. I have not had in a long time, maybe a Ooh, year or me so. Neither. 
Yeah, but yeah, I, I really, I, I agree with this, but I will say that's no indictment on Duncan. I am a big Duncan fan too, but um, I, I would say that Krispy Kreme made a great move with the thought process of putting this at Times Square, but the execution, unfortunately, at this point, uh, hopefully in the next year. Depressed. Maybe donuts exactly. Maybe they're delivering donuts all over the place. I don't know. Maybe just maybe this is like the perfect food for 2020. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. All right. Uh, let's close it out here. Fantasy or reality. We got Greg Popovich. The story today comes out that the Brooklyn Nets are interested in hiring Greg Popovich. I, and, and look, the Nets have been in talks with, all, it seems like, a lot of other coaches as well. Uh, Greg Popovich, I would say, at this time, if I had to think it through, is a top five coach in the history of the NBA. And I'm probably not being generous enough. He's probably higher than that. But he's definitely in that conversation. And this, for Spurs fans in particular, would be extremely painful if he ended up leaving to coach another team. Because, uh, look, remember, Phil Jackson, uh, when he left the Bulls, went to the Lakers, won championships there. It sort of made a lot of sense. Pat Riley was a little bit of a nomad. He went from the Lakers to the Knicks to the Heat. Uh, but, man, this this would be tough because you know, Joe, this ain't going to be for 20 years like he's doing in San Antonio. But here we are. It's sports. Things change. Fantasy reality. Greg Popovich will retire as coach of the Spurs. Fantasy reality. Man, this is a really tough one. I'm going to say fantasy because I think there's something in the greats that always they, they have something to prove. And we just mentioned a bunch of greats who ended up somewhere else at some point. And Brooklyn would be a great spot for him. Certainly, there's enough talent there next year to maybe turn things around. Uh, and I think Popovich, gosh, when when you ask me about NBA head coaches, I'm thinking Red Auerbach, and then I'm thinking Phil Jackson, I'm thinking Pat Riley. I mean, he's right in that conversation, is he not? I mean, how do you not put him? Chuck Daly comes to mind, too, right away. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, and I apologize if I am. But in terms of, like, the Rushmore of NBA head coaches, he's got to be on it. And how many of those guys, besides Red Auerbach, just coach for one team? Many of them did go. I mean, even Chuck Daly, you know, coached the Pistons and had some really good runs there with the Nets, too. So I think it's probably the case. And I think it would be amazing for Brooklyn and New York to get this kind of guy there because he is such a not only an important coach, but also an important figure in the NBA, an important figure socially, too. I think it would be a great get for them if that did happen. And I'm a big fan of Popovich. So I'm going to say I'm going to say he does actually end up somewhere else eventually, uh, just because it seems to be the nature of the business. What do you think, Craig? What, what do you think it's fantasy reality that uh, that he retires as a coach of the Spurs? I'm going to say that Popovich really needs to think this one through because I think that this is fantasy and I think that he has been able to draft and mold and keep the kind of players that he's wanted and something I think inside, we'll never know, Joe, but something happened when Kawhi Leonard did what he did to the Spurs there, you know, like I think that like, like maybe like a change with Jerry Sloan with Darren Williams when Kawhi Leonard basically said he didn't want to play and sat out the year to just not play and forced his way out of there to Toronto, won a championship with Toronto, yeah. and then went to the Clippers. I, I feel like something inside must have really got to Popovich, and I don't know that he's going to be able to have anywhere near the same success in Brooklyn that he had with San Antonio. It's a different league. I mean, this is not the Duncan and Robinson, Parker and Genoa anymore, man. Like This no, is a couple not. of really big studs, and if you don't get them, you don't win. I'm going to say fantasy. I think Popovich is going to just one day just say, you know what? I had a great run and I'm done. I'm not going to put myself out there like some of these other coaches. And Joe, the points you made are fair. These guys don't know when to quit. They go to other spots. They want to prove other people wrong. 
it's not going to work. It's not going to work so with him in Brooklyn. I think it's a reality that he does retire there. And, and look, I know that that Kevin Durant is there, and Kyrie Irving is there, and they and they got a good team coming forward, and he's walking into a really good situation. But the personalities of the guys in this league are not the same of the ones that he had with San Antonio. So I'm going to say fantasy. I think Popovich retires as coach of the Spurs. At least that's what you know what it is. I don't think that. I'm hoping that. So I'm willing it to become true. The 460s coming up next right here on Fantasy Sports. Today we'll be back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Head on over to our YouTube channel, which is, of course, SportsGrid. You can follow us there and catch all of our on-demand videos, all the interviews that we do here on Fantasy Sports Today, as well as our other shows, like The Morning After and, of course, In Game Live, uh, Gabriel Morency and Scott Farrell Coast to Coast, all of the great stuff that we have going on. We've got a YouTube channel for it, so make sure you like and subscribe. Set your notifications to on if you wouldn't mind this way. We'll send it to you immediately after our show. Let's turn it over to Joe. He's got some final thoughts on today's Sports Grid 60. So the Minnesota Timberwolves find themselves with the number one overall pick, and it's not hard to understand why. In 2008, they drafted O.J. Mayo, and the next pick was Russell Westbrook. 2009, they drafted Johnny Flynn. The next book was Steph Curry. In 2010, they drafted Wesley Johnson. The next pick was DeMarcus Cousins. In 2013, Shabazz Muhammad. The next pick was Giannis. And in 2014, they took Glenn Robinson the third, and Nikola Jokic was the next pick. So Timberwolves, I hope you're doing your homework. I hope you get this one right, because my goodness, that is a whole lot of talent that you missed out on. You were this close, but not close enough. We could also do that, Joe, with the Atlanta Hawks, but they won't want to hear it. Trust me. They could have had Luka and uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't get that right either. Okay, uh, I'll end with this, folks. Uh, look, there's going to be fans in the stands at professional football game coming up in September in Miami. Will this work? What will this mean? I'm not entirely sure, but I would tell you this. As well as Miami has done at Hard Rock Stadium, making sure that they keep up with all the CDC recommendations, do they have enough people to police 15,000 fans in the stands from keeping them from getting close to one another, from keeping them from stopping to get drunk at football games and just get around one another? I don't know the answer to this, but is there any surprise that somewhere in Florida going to be the litmus test for the rest of the country? The answer is no. That'll do it for the show. Thanks to Brett, Joe, Danny, as always, Chris. For Joe Pizzia, I'm Craig Mish. We'll see you tomorrow at noon. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.